friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. Nike and I are going to start a brief series for, the, for August um, about the Psalms as ways of kind of um, approaching language with God and about having a talk with God. And then we're going to start a series in the fall on the gospel in Genesis, um, which will be really fun and a, kind of a wild ride. It'll be like the e-ticket at Disney World. It used to be an e-ticket, but it's the, it's the Matterhorn. We're going to just go up and down the whole thing and try to figure the whole thing out as we see Jesus and that stuff. So um, this morning, though, we're going to look at honing our attention, our aim, and patience, and looking at Psalm 130 and John 10, 25 to 30. So I'm going to read from Psalm 130 to start. This is a psalm of ascents. This is what God's people would sing as they're going up to Jerusalem to worship God. To worship God. And when you hear this first phrase, out of the depths, this is a Jewish way of saying, um, I'm so despondent, I'm near death. Out of the depths means like underwater, like Jonah underwater, or a boat underwater, or you feel like you're so underwater, I'm about done. The early church called this de profundis. Um, I am so despairing right now. Just to give you some context, okay? So this is Psalm 130. This is the Holy Scripture to us. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. And now John chapter 10, verses 25 to 30. Jesus answered, I've told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, in regard to what he has given me, is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. This is the Holy Scripture. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds together be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. I won't say it's the best double album, but I will say it's probably my favorite double album. And for you kids, an album is a record. A record that's this big that you actually play. And yes, they're coming back. Some of you guys have records. I, I know you even buy them now. You even pay 30 bucks for records. What? Okay, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you my three favorite double albums. And a double album is when you buy the record, it actually comes with two records, not one. 
Well, I'll give you my top four. The fourth doesn't really count because it's a compilation. It's, the, it's the, the White Stripes Greatest Hits, and it's a compilation. I like the White Stripes. And the Greatest Hits album, so it's like a made-up album, but it's not out. But these are my favorite, my favorite albums in reverse order, okay? The Who, Tommy, 1970. And Half Master Disc, Total Nerd, Nerd! The First Rock Opera, yeah, Scott's shaking his head, that's right. That's a great double album. Second favorite double album, live album by Little Feet Waiting for Columbus. What? It's awesome. Taste it. Try it. All the bands listened to Little Feet, and no one listened to Little Feet except all the bands. But I wanted to follow the band, so I listened to Little Feet Waiting for Columbus. Awesome double live album. Dixie Chicken, oh my gosh. It's so fun on that album. Okay, but my favorite double album of all time, not even close, Songs in the Key of Life, 1977, Stevie Wonder. Okay, we're talking. Now we're talking. Okay, now on that double album, there's a little-known song that Stevie did called Have a Talk with God. It's a little three-minute song. It's actually a prayer. And in this song, I'm not as musically inclined as some of you. I would love to know what key it's in. I think it's in the key of E-flat because the song is kind of happy, but it's also kind of angry. And it's not just angry, it's also very disappointed. But it's also hopeful. It's like a really happy, sad song. And if you listen to it three times in a row, four times in a row, when you go have a talk with God, you bring all of those emotions with you. You bring your happy. You bring your sad. You bring your disappointed. You bring your hopeful. You bring your discouraged. And you don't throw any one of them out. Now, the reason I bring this up is that this is exactly why God put the Psalms in the Scripture. The Psalms in the Bible are th this rare piece of literature where it's not the acts of God that are recorded, but the conversations of people to God inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're just thoughts and prayers of people to God. They're actually our words to God in God's Word. There are words to God in God's word. And in those words that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, you have words of gratitude. You have words of anger and vengeance. You have words of complaint. You have words of disappointment. You have words of leave me alone, God. And you have words of, hey, let's dance and celebrate. All of these things. Why is it there? Because God wants us to know this is the kind of things that he permits us to do as we relate to God. Peter says, cast all your cares upon God. He cares for you. That means they have to be unedited. I'm going to give you guys a phrase that you may not have heard before, but I think you know what it is. It's the phrase moral imagination or moral consciousness or moral intelligence. Let's go with moral intelligence. Have you guys ever heard that phrase before? You know what moral intelligence is? Moral intelligence is when you get to be between the ages of five and seven, and you know when something's right or something's wrong, and no one has to tell you. It's wrong to treat a person that way. Or that's a good thing to do. It's the way God designed us to be in the image of God. The moral intelligence is, is when we know what goodness is just because we're made in God's image. And if it's good for us, it's good for them. 
what the Psalms and the Gospels do together. And it's interesting. If you look at a little tiny books, sometimes like if you want to buy um, like a mini Bible, very often they have the Gospels and then Psalms. You ever notice that? If you go to a bookstore like, or even to half-price books, like, wow, that Bible's only three bucks, that's because it's just the Gospels and the Psalms. I think that if we spent our time in the Psalms and in the Gospels, those two, those two genres together in the Holy Scripture give us courage to voice our moral intelligence, even when it's uncomfortable. Okay, let me give you an example of moral intelligence. When Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, this is the summary of all the law. You shall love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says that, right? And that's the summary of the Scripture. Here's what a five to seven-year-old would think, but probably a 13-year-old would say. And it's morally intelligent. God, do you keep those two laws? Well, don't say that. No, I'm going to ask him. If you say we're supposed to love God with all our heart and, mind and love our neighbor as ourselves, God, do you keep the rules that you give us? Shh, don't say that, honey. That's what we would say. But the Psalms and the Gospels say, let the kids speak. Ask the question. Ask the question. That's a good question. Don't squelch the moral intelligence. Now, why? Because God wants to raise strong children. Strong Strong in their faith, strong in their opinions, strong in their trust that God's a good person. I'll put it this way. Uh, there's a book I would recommend to you, moms and dads, especially if you have preteens or teens. Nike and I would wholly recommend this book R for you and then as you talk with your kids. It's called The Great American Sex Rescue. Nike's laughing. But um, don't you agree it's an awesome book? It's an awesome book. Now, who wrote this book? This book was written by a mommy blogger. A mommy blogger is a mom that blogs about the Bible. This mommy blogger read all these books about Christian marriage and, and human sexuality, and she realized there's something amiss in them. So she did this major survey of, of people, of Christians all over the country, and she wrote this book called The Great American Sex, Sex Rescue. It's really, really good. Well, I read it, and I'm starting to read her other book. She's got three other books now. Her name is Sheila Ray Gregar, and... Um, She's actually really smart. She's, I think she's got a, a, a master's in literature, and she's working on her, her theology degree. So she's not you know, just a mommy blogger. She's really, she's got chops. It's a great book. But here's what I, I thought that was interesting. She was on a, um, a podcast with two pastors, and these two pastors were like me. They were church planters. So they think they're pretty smart. They're pretty smart. They're two dudes and they read her book, and she kind of blew both of them away. And in the middle of this, one of the, dad, one of the guys who's a dad he said, um, Sheila, I have a question for you. I'm really encouraged by this. I didn't realize how so much of what we say about human sexuality and marriage, we take more from culture than from the scripture. How do we, I, this is awesome. And she said, he said, she said, well, thank you. And, he, and then he said, hey, listen, I got a 12-year-old girl you have any advice for me on how I can raise her? Now we're getting into the moral intelligence, okay? And this is what she said. She said, raise your, your sons and daughters to disagree with you. And there was a long silence, just like you guys gave me a long silence right there. Like, what? 
he said, what do you mean raise my daughters and sons to disagree with me? She said, not, not rebel against you, but raise them to have strong convictions. So if you tell them, he, he said, can you give me an example? She said, yeah. Let's say you tell your 13-year-old kid to go clean your room because they forgot to do it that morning, and they get really mad. Let him get mad for a second. He said, why? He said, well, they may say, yeah, I forgot to do it this morning, but can I do it tonight because I've, I've, got, I've got practice. I don't want to be late to practice. I'm really sorry, Mom. And you may or not. He said, but why do I want that? He said, if you're a dad and you've got a 13-year-old girl, I'll just put it plainly. You've got to teach your daughter how to say no sometimes, especially to men. Kaboom. And it hit him. Isn't that beautiful? I thought that was beautiful. Raise your, raise your sons to, be, to have the moral compass straight and sometimes to disagree with people and say, go this way. Raise them to be strong in their convictions. Now, it doesn't mean that, that they get their way, but hear them out. What she's basically saying is, let them come to you with all their emotions, not just some of them. Does that make sense? Let them come to you with all the emotions. Let them know, I'm disappointed in you. I'm afraid of you. I love you. I don't like you right now. Be strong enough to take it. Because if you don't have their whole heart, they're going to squish it. They're going to squish it. And if they squish it, there's parts of themselves that they can never share with you. In the Psalms, God gives a record of kids who disagree with God. Did you ever think of it that way? In the Gospels, we have people that disagree with God. And God says, I'm still going after you. I love you. I'm not going to turn you away. So I think it's very important as we pray that God gives us our moral imagination and our moral intelligence to pray. For example, these are the postures. Well, here's where moral intelligence gets squashed in Christian circles. This is where it got squashed with me. I've, I've practiced... Um, probably three of the four major Christian groups. I've never been part of an Orthodox church, although I did meet an Orthodox priest that became my friend for a little while in Santa Fe because I was intrigued by the Orthodox saints. But I got to tell you, this guy was so difficult. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Not winning friends and influencing people. I thought, how are you a pastor? You're one of the most sour people I've ever met. Wow. So I didn't spend much time with him. But I was raised Catholic. And this is how the Catholic faith at times squelched my moral intelligence. If I questioned something, sometimes I was told, honey, in the priest, the authority of God resides in that person. So you have to submit to that person. But mom, he's mean. Just submit. But he's not a good person. Oh, don't go there. Squished my moral intelligence. In the Reformed community, I love the Reformed faith, but sometimes there's such a, an emphasis on the sovereignty of God. We ask ourselves, God's in control, God is sovereign. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like that event was a good event. Is God a good person? Don't ask that question. Don't ask that question. Why? God is sovereign. Don't ask the question if he's a good person. Or his goodness is above that. So his goodness is what we would think is bad? Don't ask that question. God says, ask the question. But we say don't. So in the Reformed community, it's the sovereignty of God, and it's above us. 
in other evangelical traditions, it's not that like, Mom, I don't think this thing is very good right here. Well, honey, don't trust your, your feelings. Trust the Word. Well, it says in the Word that God did this, and that looks really bad. Well, just trust it. But it looks like God's doing bad things. It said bad things. Well, don't trust your feelings about goodness. Squishes moral intelligence. Does that make sense? And I think what the Gospels and the Psalms do, it opens it up. So it's interesting that, thanks, Jess, for putting that, that marker up there. So we're going to look at different views of prayer. And these are the languages of prayer. And if you're just listening, I'm, I'm folding my hands right now. This is how we're taught to pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I'm grateful for you. All those things are true. But what you're going to see in the Psalms are different hand gestures. In the Psalms, you're going to have Psalms. This is a Psalm of orientation, as Walter Brueggemann would say. This is orientation. There's Psalms of orientation, like this. There's also Psalms of disorientation, like this. Clenched fist. I am mad at the world, at my neighbor, at you. That is a posture of prayer in the Psalms. And did you know some of the Psalms don't end like this? They end like this. Why are they there? Because God says, I want you to give me all of your feelings. We'll work it through. I want strong children who are not afraid to give me all their feelings. Does that make sense? So there's, strong, there's, there's psalms like this. These are psalms of revolution, of change, of I'm mad. And then there's psalms like this. You ever slam your fingers in the door of a car? Oh, of course you have. Or, you did, or you've done it to your friend or your kid, which I did, didn't mean to, and I've done like, and they go, oh, and their hands are like this. Like this. That's the limp hand. That's this. Like, I can't even raise my hand. I can't even touch it. That's this psalm. That's Psalm 30. Lord, out of the depths. It's not this. It's like, I got nothing. I got nothing. Out of the depths. I got nothing. Now, at the end, he's kind of like this, but it's still a lot like this. So we're going to look at psalms of disorientation. We're going to look at psalms of this is the psalm of, of lament. Nika's going to deal with these psalms. Of the smashed fingers, I got nothing. I am so sad right now. These are the psalms of, of vengeance and violence. Like, God, do something. Psalm 53, 8 is very interesting. You know what the psalmist prayed? Lord, especially since it's so hot outside, treat my neighbor like a slug going across a hot road and just burn him. Like a slug going across a hot road? Do you kids know what a slug is? A slug is like a really big worm that's kind of slimy. So think of, and it's slimy because that's how it stays alive. Imagine putting a slimy slug out on the concrete and watching it sizzle. That's what the psalmist prayed. Lord, this guy is very mean to me. Make him like a tomato slug. I want to watch it. Yes. Please, God. It's there. What do we do with that? We'll get into that. So some psalms are like this, the clenched fist. Some psalms are like this. Some psalms are like this. Where we say, I got nothing. I needed to help me up. I got nothing. This psalm begins like this and kind of goes like this. And then there are psalms that go like this. Praise the Lord, let's dance, let's sing, let's have fun, let's have a party, woohoo! 
So do you see all these things in God's record? And now what God is saying is prayer is the communication that we have with God. So this not only lets us give all of our emotions to God, this forces us to be mature. Because when we go through these emotions, we have to think, why am I thinking this way? Why am I so angry at God or myself? Why do I want God to smash out the teeth of my enemy? It forces us at times to grow up. But we can't have those conversations until we actually are honest with God. You all with me? So there's psalms of orientation, of helping us hone in. Psalms of disorientation, that's this and this. And then there's psalms of reorientation. Fill me, forgive me, help me. And now I praise you and celebrate you. So we're going to go through the different hand motions. And here's the deal. Sometimes as we pray, we don't, and here's, I was talking to my sister-in-law, Lesku, who's here last night. Sometimes in our, in our church traditions, um, we're very impatient. And we think we have to go from this to this. And we, we've skipped a few steps. What about sometimes it's this and like this? Uh, you know, I'm angry. Oh, but you're feeling me. Oh, okay, now I'm just like this. And then maybe next year I'll be this. But I'm going to stay this way for a while. And it may go like this to this and this to this. Does that make sense? It may go from trusting and seeing God to I, I got nothing. I'm hurting. And I got both at the same time. And that's what's so beautiful about the Psalms. And God is telling us, give me these emotions, but I'm going to make you grow up because I want strong children. I'm not going to keep you there. You're going to have to grow up and be mature in Jesus, and it's going to take that stuff. So let's look at Psalm 130 very briefly, because um, I think this is really interesting what it says. Uh, for those of you that are here last week, I talked about um, God's footsteps and the voice in our head, that sometimes when we think we've done something wrong, we hear God's footsteps, and God's footsteps are very angry with us, and so the voice in our head is, I better run or make up an excuse or blame someone because God's out to get me. Listen to what the psalmist says here. If you could go back to that. Thank you, Jess. So, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. So I'm like, out of the depths. Out of, I'm underwater. I'm, I'm done. I am done. Both hands smashed in the door. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Lord, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Please, God, I can hardly talk. Show up. Now, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. Let me give you a more literal translation of this. If you, O Lord, should watch my sin record. Watch. It's the word watch, actually. If you should watch my sin record, Lord, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. What? Lord, if you should watch my sin record, I couldn't stand. But there's what? What does the psalmist say? You can you go back there, Jess? But there's what? Forgiveness. So when he's at his worst, he says, Lord, if you should watch my sin record, I got no chance. But you're not watching my sin record. You're watching me. Do you hear that? He's not watching the sin record. Now, why did I say the word watch? Let's go to the rest of the psalm. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than those who watch for the morning more than those who watch for the morning. What is, do you guys know what watchmen are? Watchmen are like, they're like the mall cops that stand outside the city wall. And at nighttime, um, they make sure that none of the enemies are coming at dark. 
And so these night guards are out there looking out in the dark to see if any enemies are coming. But as soon as the dawn comes, which means the sun comes up, they get to go home. They're waiting for the sun to break. And what the psalmist is saying is, Lord, I'm done. I'm in the depths. And if you were to watch my sin record, I got no chance. But you're not watching the sin record. You're watching me. And you have abundant forgiveness. So I'm waiting for the light to come. I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you because you're about to forgive me. And I trust you because you're a good person. So I'm going to wait. I'm the mall cop. I'm waiting for the sun to come up. When the sun comes up, it's all good. Do you hear him? And then he goes from being the singular to being plural. Look at the rest of the psalm. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there's steadfast love, and with him is the great power to redeem. It is he who redeemed Israel from all its iniquities. Everybody, whenever you think God's looking at your sin record, he's not looking at the sin record. He's looking at you. So look for him and his forgiveness. Can you guys hear Jesus in that? Isn't that beautiful? It's so beautiful. That's just so much gospel in Psalm 130. But he's like this. And then he kind of goes to like this. In John chapter 10, when Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What Jesus is saying is, I hear my sheep and they follow me. And even when they don't follow me, I follow them. And when I follow them, sometimes they do bad things. And when I find them, I don't watch their sin record. I put them on my shoulder and I take them home. We think that when we sin, God's watching our sin record. God's not watching our sin record. We are. We're ashamed of ourselves, and we run. God says, I'm watching you. I'll deal with your sin. I'll deal with it on the cross. I'll suck it out of you. I'll put it on my son and, and nail it to that tree and just put it in the ground. It's never coming back up again. But you're watching. And the psalmist says, Lord, Lord, I, I know you're not watching my sin record, so I'm going to watch for you. With, with our five grandkids, I had, we, we love all of our grandkids. Um, we get to spend more time with three of them because they live fairly close. The other live in New York and, and Maine. And, um, but one of them, Hunter, our baby, he's 18 months, he runs like an old cowboy from like a western. He's so beautifully bow-legged. He's just, he runs like this, and he's really fast. He doesn't talk much. He signals a lot. This is Dito. That's my name, Dito. And he'll go like this. So when he, whenever I see him, he does, he'll, he'll grunt. He'll just go, he's, he's big into grunting. He just says a few words. But we have this, he likes me to hold him. And when I hold him, it's like being at a, like a high seat and he can watch everybody talk. So he'll just like, tell him, okay, that's enough. But he'll stay there for 30 minutes because he just likes to watch all the conversations. But when I see him, I look at him come in the door, I do this. He'll look at me and go, and then I do this. And guess what he does? That's Psalm 130. Abba, Father, where are you? I see you. He's doing this. But we don't see that. We see someone who's saying, why did you do that to me? What's wrong with you? Lord, if you should watch my sin record, I'd have no chance. But 
you're not. You're watching me. So just, just do this. Do you guys hear that? Do you hear Jesus in the Psalms? If we're just honest with God, he's not watching our sin record. He's watching. Now, is he going to deal with the sins? Of course he is. But we get him wrong so many times. And I think Psalm 130 gives us a beautiful entrance into the first language of God, which is smashed fingers. I got nothing. To finally getting to somewhat like this. Now, here's the deal. Does that mean we always go like this? No, it's sometimes like this. I still have a smashed finger and I'm beginning to trust you. Why is that okay? Because you're not saved by your faithfulness. You're saved by the faithfulness of Jesus. That's why. It's not the strength of your faith that saves you. It's the person that your faith is in that saves you and he's got you. So if you've got smashed fingers here and you're still in the depths of despair and can barely hang on, oh, that's good. Mike and I love doing our, our Good Friday Stations of the Cross. And one of my favorite Stations of the Cross, of course, is the thief on the cross with the worst profession of faith in the history of the Bible. The, the worst, in other words, it's just so bad. He's on the cross next to Jesus, and all he says is, Lord, remember me when you get to your paradise? He didn't invite Jesus into his heart. He didn't memorize the first three questions of the Westminster Confession of Faith. He didn't even memorize John 3.16, for heaven's sake. He, doesn't, he can't even quote, he can't name the, the 66 books of the Bible. He can't say, Jesus loves me this, I know, for the Bible tells me so. All he says is, Lord, remember me when you go to paradise? That's horrible. And Jesus says, it works. That's good. It's good. I got you. Today you'll be with me. Why? Because it's not how eloquent you are. It's, do you realize he's not watching your sin record? He's watching you. He got it. He got it. He got his, his, his Savior was doing this. He came to him. And I think we just need to be honest with ourselves that we need to hone our attention, our aim, and our patience towards God and that God is really good. But to understand that, we've got to give all of our feelings to God. Because if you don't, they're still subterranean. I have so many friends in the pastoral ministry that have quit because... And, and, and not just quit being a pastor. I have lots of friends who, they do their pastoring in different ways. Like, well, like, like Ryan, my dear brother, he's, he's still pastoring. He's a, he's a counselor. He's a great counselor. Matt's a counselor. They're so, Doug's a counselor. We've got all these soul practitioners who have pastoring ability. It's the same thing, soul care. It's just, but I have other pastors that they, they just quit. You know why? They can't give their feelings to God. Because they somehow think we're not supposed to. Or if they want to, they're afraid their people are going to freak out. So you know what they do to keep their faith? They just, they just stop everything. I mean everything. Not just being a pastor. They just stop everything. They don't go to church. They don't do anything. Why? Because there, there's so much anger and disappointment, and they were told somehow, don't trust your moral intelligence. Don't bring those things to God. But it's in our scriptures by the Holy Spirit to bring these things to God. So this week, we're a little bit like this. It ends like this. You know why? Because God's a really, really good God. Ask him. Don't be afraid of what he says. God wants to raise strong children. 
Ask God hard questions. He can take it. And your faith will be stronger if you do. Instead of stuffing it down, give it to Jesus. And watch him when he does this to you. When he says, come here. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we're grateful to you. And we're grateful that you care for us and that you want us to bring all of our emotions, even the ones that are unhealthy, to you. And we're also grateful what we'll learn about you and about ourselves as we grow in prayer. Father, we want to be mature. We don't just want to wallow in our emotions, but we want to express them to you. And would you teach us more and more every day what a good person you are? And forgive us, Lord, for thinking that that's an unfair question when you want us to ask those questions. You are a good, good God. And we trust you and pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.